It's time now for Pilgrim's Progress Storytime with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress Storytime. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I've been sharing with you the story of of Pilgrim as he makes his way from the city of destruction all the way to the celestial city. And along the way, they went into Vanity Fair and into the city of Vanity. Now, we all have to go through there. The question is, will we spend our valuable money there? Will we lust after the things of the world? Or will we separate and come out of the world, come out of the entertainment of the world, come out of the the cheap commodity of the world, and focus our attention on Jesus? I'm going to share with you a conversation that is going on amongst some wicked friends. And a question is asked by Mr. Byens. He says, my friends, we're all on the same pilgrimage to help pass the time. I would propose a question to you. Suppose a man, a minister or a tradesman or such, should have an opportunity to get a blessing and improve his station in life by becoming extremely zealous in some point of religion. Let's suppose that This religious point is something about which he has no particular interest, but by appearing to be interest, he can gain an advantage, either financial or otherwise. The question I put to you is this, can he pretend to be interested and remain an upstanding and honest man? Money Love noted, I see what your question is getting at, and with these gentleman's permission, I will endeavor to give you an answer. First, I will speak to your question as it concerns a minister. Suppose a minister, a worthy man, but someone with a very small income, has a desire to increase in wealth and influence. Suppose that he sees an opportunity for achieving these goals by becoming more studious, by preaching more frequently and more zealously, and modifying some of his principles to fit in with the preference and treatment and temperament of his congregation. I see no reason why he cannot do this, and a lot more if needed, while still remaining an honest man. And here are the reasons why. One, he desires a greater income. His desire is lawful since it is set before him by province. He should take advantage of the opportunity without questioning his conscience. Two, besides, his desire for more income makes him more studious, more zealous, and and more ardent in preaching, and so on. And this makes him a better man. Yes, it makes him a better man in all aspects of his life, which are also in accordance with the will of God. Three, now as for his modifying his views and principles to make himself more acceptable to his people, this says three good things about the man. It shows that he is 
a self-denying man, of a sweet and winning disposition, and thus more fit for ministerial duties. Four, I conclude then that a minister exchanges a small thing for a great should not be judged as coveting for doing so. Rather, since his decision results in self-improvement and industry, he should be commended as one who pursues his call, and the opportunity should be seen as something that will help him to do good. And now to the second point of the question, which concerns the tradesman you mentioned. Suppose this man is in a trade that makes him very little money, but by coming religious, he can improve his income, perhaps get a rich wife, (laughs) and get better customers to help him. For my part, I see no reason why this may not be lawfully done, and for these reasons, one, to become religious is a virtue. By whatever means, it happens. Two, it's not unlawful to marry a rich wife or to encourage a better class of customer to do business with him in his shop. And three, besides this man who gets these by becoming religious, gets something that is good for those who are good by becoming good himself. He gets a good wife, good customers, a good income, and all by becoming religious, which is good. Therefore. To become religious is to get all these in a good and profitable plan. Mr. Money's love's answer to Mr. Byan's question was highly applauded by them all. They all concluded that it was such a wholesome and adventurous answer that no one would be able to contradict it. Since Christian and Hopeful were still within calling distance, they all agreed to pose these questions and answers to them since they thought that both of them had been rude in their opposition to Mr. Byans. So they called after Christian and Hopeful, who stopped and waited for them to approach. As the three men drew near, they decided that Mr. Hold the World and not Mr. Byans should propose the question to Christian and Hopeful to avoid any prejudice, you see that might remain between Mr. Byans and them. So they came up to each other, and after a short salutation, Mr. Hold the World proposed the question to Christian and Hopeful and asked them if they could answer the question. Then said Christian, even a babe in religion could answer 10,000 such questions, for it is unlawful to follow Christ for loaves. As it says in John 6, how much more Abominable is it to make him and religion into a self-serving device for getting and enjoying the world. Only heathens, hypocrites, devils, and witches are of your opinion. The heathens, Hamor and Shechem, coveted the daughters and the cattle of Jacob, and when they saw that there was no way to get them but becoming circumcised, they said to their companions, If every male of us circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their cattle and their property and every beast of theirs be ours? Jacob's daughters and cattle were what the heathen wanted, and they used Jacob's religion as a guise to try to get it. Read the whole story in Genesis 34, verses 1 through 
verses 20 through 23. The hypocritical Pharisees were also of this religion. Long prayers were their pretense, but their intent was to gain houses and property of widows, and their judgment was greater damnation from God. Judas the devil was also in this religion, and he would rather have had the possession of the money bag than of Christ. He was lost, cast away, the very son of perdition. Simon the witch was also of this religion. He he wanted the Holy Ghost for the purpose of his own personal financial gain. And you can read in Acts the response of the Apostle Peter to his religion. It also occurs to me that the man who takes up religion for the world will just as easily throw away religion for the world. For just as Judas desired the world in becoming religious, he did also sell religion and his master for the same. To answer the question as you have done and accept your answer as authentic is heathenish, hypocritical, and devilish. You will be rewarded according to your works. Then they stood staring at each other, unable to answer Christian. Hopeful then approved of the soundness of Christian's answer. So there was great silence among them. So Christian and Hopeful continued their journey. But Mr. Byans and his company stayed back, stunned by Christian's rebuke. Then Christian said to Hopeful, If these men cannot stand before the sentence of men, what will they do before the sentence of God? And if they are mute when dealt with by the vessels of clay, what will they do when they shall be rebuked by the flames of devouring fire? Then Christian and Hopeful left them again and walked until they came to a smooth place called Ease, where they traveled with much contentment. The plain was quite small, so they went quickly through it. Now on the far side of that plain was a little hill called Lucre, and in that hill there was a silver mine, which some of the pilgrims had turned aside to see. The ground near the brink of the pit was unstable, and many had stumbled into the pit only to suffer injuries or even death. Then I saw in my dream that a, a little off the road, over by the silver mine, stood a gentleman, Demas, calling to passerbys to come and see. When he saw Christian and Hopeful, he shouted, Stop! Turn aside! I have something to show you! What could be so interesting to see that would turn us out of our way, Christian asked. Demas replied, Over here are men digging in a silver mine for treasure. If you will come and work a little, you may become rich. Then said Hopeful, Let's go see. Not I, said Christian, for I have heard of this place and of all the people who have died here digging for treasure. It is a trap that will slow pilgrims down on their journey. Then Christian called to Demas, saying, Is not this place dangerous? Hasn't it hindered many in their pilgrimage? Oh, not very dangerous, except to those who are careless, Demas said, but notwithstanding, blushing at his lie. Then said Christian to Hopeful, Let's not miss a step, but keep going on our way. 
Hopeful said, I will warrant you that when Bayans come here, and if he is given the same invitation as we, he will turn out of the way to see. I have no doubt you are right, for this principle of his leads him that way, and odds are a hundred to one that he dies there, Christian observed. Then Demas called again, saying, But will you not come over and see? Then Christian sternly answered, saying, Demas, you are an enemy of the way of the Lord, and you have always been condemned by one of his majesty's judges for turning out of the way. Why then are you trying to bring us into similar condemnation? Besides, if we turn aside, our Lord the King will certainly hear about it, and we will be put to shame when the time comes when we ought to stand with boldness before him. Demas cried out again, saying that he was a brother like them on pilgrimage, and that if they would wait for just a little while, he would walk with them. Then Christian asked, What is your name? Is it not the same by which I have called you? Yes, my name is Demas. I am the son of Abraham. I know you, Gehazi. Gehazi was your great-grandfather, and Judas was your father, and you have followed in their steps. It is a devilish prank that you use. Your father was hanged as a traitor, and you deserve no better reward. Assure yourself that when we come to the king, we will tell him about your behavior. Thus said Christian and Hopeful, as they continued on their way. By the time Bayans and his companions were again within sight, and at the first invitation they went in and went over to Demas. Now whether they fell into the pit by looking over the brink, or whether they went down to dig, or whether they were smothered in the bottom of the pit by the vapors that came up from the place, I'm not certain. But this I do know. They never again were seen along the way of pilgrims. Now I saw that just on the other side of the plain, the two pilgrims came to a place in the highway where they stood where there stood an old monument. The pilgrim's attention was drawn to the monument because it looked so strange. It seemed to be in the shape of a woman. As they looked at the statue, they were puzzled and could not make sense of it until Hopeful found some strange writing at the head of the pillar. Being no scholar, Hopeful could not understand the meaning of the script, so he called Christian, who was more educated, to see if he could unlock the mystery. Christian spent some time trying to decipher the letters, and finally, he understood the meaning. Christian then read it aloud to his friend Hopeful. Remember Lot's wife? They both concluded that the monument rested on the pillar of salt into which Lot's wife was turned after she looked back towards Sodom with a heart full of coveting. Seeing this amazing sight gave Christian and hopeful occasion for the following discourse. Christian began, My brother hopeful, this is a timely sight. Consider how close this monument is to the hill of Lucre, where Demas gave us the invitation to seek our fortune in silver mines. If we had done that, if we had done what he enticed us to do, perhaps it would be our statue that other pilgrims would wonder as they pass this place on the highway. 
hopeful responded, yes. And I'm sorry that I was so foolish to even consider it. Only now can I make out the difference between the sin of Lot's wife and my own sin. She only looked back while I had a desire to go and see. Let grace be exalted and let me be ashamed that such a thought could have ever entered my heart. Christian went on. Let's consider what we have seen here and let it let it be a reminder to us in the future. Lot's wife escaped one judgment when she fled the city of Sodom, and yet she was destroyed by another judgment and turned into a pillar of salt. Hopeful said, True, and she is a warning and an example to both of us that we should avoid her sin. She is a visible sign that awaits those who do not take a lesson from this judgment. I am reminded of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, with the 250 men who perished in their sin, who also became a sign or an example, so that others may take heed. But of above all, I cannot help thinking about one thing, which is how Demas and his companions can stand so confidently such a little way from here to look for the treasure for which this woman simply looked backwards while fleeing the destruction of Sodom and was turned into a pillar of salt. It is especially perplexing, perplexing since the judgment that overtook her made her an example within the sight of these men. They cannot help but see her if they would only lift up their eyes. It is bewildering, but indicates that they have hardened their hearts. Christian continued, I would compare them to those who pick pockets in the presence of the judge or empty out other people's purses while under the shadow of the gallows. It is said of the men of Sodom that they were exceptional sinners because they were sinners before the Lord. That is to say, they sinned right before his eyes, with not enough shame even to try to hide their sin. They did this notwithstanding the kingdom that he had shown them, for the land of Sodom was like the Garden of Eden. This provoked the Lord, and he made their plague of fire as hot as the Lord of heaven could make it. The lesson is clear. Those who've had examples and warnings, but before them, and who receive the Lord's benefits and kindnesses, will suffer the most, the most severe judgments if they refuse to repent and change their ways. Hopeful agreed. You've spoken the truth. But what a mercy is that neither you nor especially I am made an example. This should give us an occasion to thank God, to fear before him, to always remember Lot's wife. Then I saw that they went on their way to a pleasant river that King David called the river of God and the St. John called the river of the water of life. Now since their path lay on the bank of this river, Christian and hopeful walked with great delight, and also drank the water of the river, which was pleasant and enlivening to their weary spirits. On the other side of the banks of the river were green trees that produced all kinds of fruit, 
and the leaves of the tree were good for healing. Christian and his companion were refreshed as they ate the fruit from the trees. They also ate the leaves that were he- that were and were healed from some of their infirmities. On either side of the river was a meadow, beautiful with lilies and green all the year long. While in this meadow the two pilgrims lay down and slept, for it was a pleasant and safe place. And when they awoke, they gathered the fruit of the trees and drank the water of the river, then lay down again to sleep. They did this for several days and nights. And then they began to sing. Since they had not yet arrived at their destination, they ate and drank one last time, and then they departed. Now I saw in my dream that they had not journeyed far before the river parted away from the path. This made them a little sad, and yet they dared not go out of the way. As their path proceeded away from the river, it became rough, and their feet were sore from their travels. So the souls of the pilgrims were much discouraged because of the way, and they wished for a smooth path. Soon they saw a little way ahead of them a pleasant-looking field called Bypath Meadows. It sat on the left side of the road with a, a stile marking an entrance into it. Then said Christian to Hopeful, If that meadow is right next to the way, let us step a aside into it, and let us walk there. Then they went to the stile to take a look and saw a path that followed alongside their rough way, just on the other side of the fence. This is what I was hoping for, said Christian. Here is an easier way to go. Come, good hopeful, let us take the smooth path that follows right next to our difficult one. But what if this path should lead us out of the way, hopeful asked. Well, that's not likely, said Christian. Look, doesn't it go right next to our path? So Hopeful, persuaded by Christian, followed after him over the stile into bypath meadows. After they had started walking on the new path, they found it very easy on their feet. And looking ahead, they saw a man walking in the same direction they were going. His name was Vain Confidence. They called after him and asked him where the path was leading. He called back to them, to the celestial gate. See, said Christian, didn't I tell you? So they followed vain confidence down the path. But soon the night came, darkness fell, and they lost sight of him. As for vain confidence, who could not see the way ahead of him, he fell into a deep pit that was put there on purpose by the prince of this ground, to catch vain glorious fools. Vain confidence was mortally injured when he fell into that pit. <laughs> now Christian and Hopeful heard him fall. So they called up ahead to see if it was all right. But there was no answer, except the sound of groaning. Then Hopeful asked, Now what shall we do? But Christian was silent, regretting that he had led him out of the way. Then began a torrential rain with fierce thunder and lightning, and the water rose. And then Hopeful groaned in himself, saying, Oh, that I had kept on the true way. Who would have thought that this path would lead us astray? Hopeful continued, I'm afraid it might from the very first. 
That's why I gave you the gentle caution. I would have spoken more firmly, but you are older than I. Good brother, don't be offended, Christian said soothingly. I'm sorry. I've urged you out of the way, and then I put you into such imminent danger. Pray, my brother, forgive me. I did not do it with an evil intent. Hopeful, said warmly, be comforted, my brother. I forgive you, and I believe that this will work out for our good. Christian responded, I'm glad I'm traveling with a a merciful brother. But we must not stand here. Let's try to go back to where we left the path. But good brother, let me lead the way. But Christian offered, no, if you please, let me go ahead of you so that I can be the first to meet any danger since I'm the one to blame for our current circumstances. Well, we're going to continue the story next week. I hope you enjoyed it. This book was written back in the 1600s. Well, the author, John Bunyan, was in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus. Take your stand for Jesus and don't turn back. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.